0: Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. So good morning, those of you that are here in person and those of you that are online. It's good to have you with us. As we begin our year-long telling of the gospel story through the Christian calendar, you understand that this is the first day of the new year for for those that are telling the story through the calendar. So I hope you didn't have too wild a New Year's Eve last night. (laughs) Now, as we begin to tell the gospel story... Throughout the year, with the Christian calendar, we begin not with the birth of Christ, but waiting for the birth of Christ. The 12-day Christmas feast that begins on December 25th is preceded by four weeks of waiting. And this is Advent. Advent is for waiting. It's a time for us to practice the holy art of waiting on God. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll get new strength. Those that wait upon the Lord, there'll be a renewal of their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. So we need this holy practice developing a capacity for waiting and waiting on the Lord. We need this practice, though, because most of us are not very good at waiting. How many of you say, yeah, I'm not very good at waiting? Well, that's because that's how we've been formed in our one-click, instant access, high-tech, high-speed culture. Waiting just feels so old-fashioned. We used to wait. But these days, we can have everything now. The alert among you noticed that there were two arcade fire references in that one sentence. We used to wait. These days we think we can have everything now. Well, do you want God? How many of you want God to act in your life? You know, I mean, you're ready for God to show up. You know God is there, but you're ready for God to actually appear, show up, do something. I'm gonna kill this fly. Hold on. I got it. All right. A fly was crawling around on my sermon notes, and I thought, he must perish. All right, so we're agreed. We want... That's never happened before. We want God 3,514 sermons. First time I killed a fly on my sermon notes. That's what everybody will remember from this sermon. Anyway... um, we want God to work and act and show up and appear and do something new in our life, but um, you can't just order it. The acts of God are not available on Amazon, one-click, one-day delivery. It doesn't work that way. We have to learn the holy art of waiting on God because it's in the waiting that our soul becomes contemplative enough to discern what God is doing. See, if we get in a hurry, we want God to act, we want God to act, we're in a hurry, we're in a hurry. Then God does act, but we, we haven't arrived at a contemplative enough state to even recognize what God is doing. That's why it says in Isaiah, Behold, I do a new thing, but the question is, will you be aware of it? Will you perceive it? It's in the waiting that we become contemplative enough to discern what God is doing. Without This discernment, this, this discernment instilled in a quieted soul that knows how to wait, we will be too distracted to recognize what God is doing when God does act. So during Advent we are there's another flight. I'm having trouble today. Pray for me. So during Advent, we are preparing our hearts for a new arrival of Christ. I mean, we're celebrating the arrival at Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. We also confess that Christ shall come again to judge the living and the dead, but we're always looking for Christ to show up in new ways in our lives. And, And I'm ready for that. Anybody ready for that? Ready for a new arrival of Christ in our own lives to bring what it is that Jesus Christ has to bring. Amen. So, the Christmas story doesn't begin with shepherds and magi coming to a stable in Bethlehem. It begins with the enigmatic oracles of the Hebrew prophets centuries earlier. It begins with an angel making a surprising announcement to an old priest in Jerusalem. It begins with an angel making an even more surprising announcement to a young virgin in Nazareth. And in all of these cases, there are songs. Songs that are sung in preparation for what God is about to do. These are the songs of Isaiah. The song of Zechariah, the song of Simeon, the song of Mary the songs of the angels. These are, in fact, the songs of Messiah. And that's what I want us to kind of settle into over the four Sundays of Advent, the songs of Messiah. Much of the richest parts of the Bible are in the form of song and poetry. Because when we reach the limits of the precision of prose, I mean, we've said, we've tried to say everything in prose and that kind of precise language, but there still remains more to be said, and we don't know how to do it. That's when the poetic opens up. Poetry can take us a lot deeper. Prose is for the pragmatic. It's, you know, for the assembly manual or something like that. But if we want to venture into the prophetic, we need the poetic. So... Leviticus in Numbers, Chronicles and Kings, they can say what they have to say easy enough in prose. But the prophets need to deliver their oracles in the artistic form of poetry. And the greatest of the poet-prophets is Isaiah, so today I want us to look at Isaiah's servant songs. The servant songs are four poems that depict Israel as Yahweh's faithful servant. The servant songs make promises to and predictions about this servant. And though Isaiah says that Israel is the servant, it seems to be Israel as a single person. It seems that it's, yes, it's Israel, but it seems that it's Israel that has become embodied in a single person, so that it becomes clear that the servant, in fact, is Messiah. The servant in these songs is the one that we're waiting for. Now, the first two songs, Isaiah 42 and 49 have the first two songs. They talk about the glorious mission of the servant and how glorious his triumph and success will be. So, for example, the second one in Psalm 49 talks about how the kings of the world will bow down to this servant. And then you have two more psalms. There's four of them. Psalm 42, 49, 50, 53. The psalms in 50 and 53 also talk about the glorious triumph of 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 the servant as the first two did, but add the new element of suffering. That in fact, the servant of the Lord will suffer. And so they talk about the servant being rejected and insulted and spat upon and wounded for our transgressions. Well, today we only have time to look at the first of the servant songs, so let's let's get started. Psalm our Isaiah 42 Isaiah 42 verse 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations, to the Gentiles, to the the goyim. Behold my servant. Well, what do we know about this servant? This is the first of the servant songs. What do we know about this servant? Well, we know that God delights in the servant. We can hear the Lord saying, this is my beloved servant. Servant, in whom I am well pleased. This servant, who is Israel in one person, that is Messiah, is chosen by God to bring justice to the Gentile world. Now, here's something important. To be chosen by God does not mean that the others are excluded from the blessing of God. Some people get this wrong. They think, oh, the the chosen ones are are the ones that are blessed by God. No. The chosen ones are chosen by God to bring God's blessing to everyone else. See, in God's economy, the objective is that everybody is blessed. Everybody's blessed. Everybody's blessed. Nobody's left out. Nobody's excluded. Everybody's blessed. But some are chosen to bring the blessings. Some are chosen to come to the Lord's table and be servers. And bring God's blessing to everyone else. So, see, Christ is the elect one. Christ, all the purposes of, you know, there's doctrines of election. All the, all the purposes of God in election are fulfilled in Christ. Ultimately, Christ is the elect one. And he's elected to bless the nations. All the purposes of election are fulfilled in Christ. That's why we can say that now in Christ, the chosen people is the human race and the holy land is the whole earth. Amen. Now, the servant is, we're told, anointed by God. That God's going to put His Spirit upon the servant. That's why you know, Messiah means the anointed one. This is the Messiah. The servant is anointed by God's Spirit to bring justice to the Gentile world. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that the mission of the servant, or the mission of Messiah, is to set right what's wrong in the world. And what's wrong in the world? Oh, much, much. But it's the mission of Messiah to set right what's gone wrong in our world. And it means, to begin with at least, that the Gentile world needs to be liberated from its bondage to idolatry, because that is the definition of the Gentile world in this context. This is the world that doesn't worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the true and living God. They worship the false gods of the idols. And what are idols? Idols are, wrong. Idols are our wrong ideas about God that become established in our thinking and thus deceive us and ultimately enslave us. Idols are our wrong thinking about God. It gets established. It's fixed. We believe it's the truth when it's a lie. It's a false god. And what will happen with those idols is they will deceive us and then enslave us. I mean, mean, how many of you at some time, you can look back on your past, and you can say, there were times in my life when I had wrong ideas about God. And it made me a slave. It, It made me a slave to fears that I didn't need to have. And so there may be many of you that there was a time in your life. I mean, I I just, look, I know a lot of the onliners. The reason you're online is because you've been through that. I mean, I hear, you know, Derek is telling me about you. (laughs) And so I know enough about what's going on that a lot of you are joining us online because you come from a world where you at one point believed, because you were taught, that God is angry and violent and retributive and hard to please. And you were just always, you know, kind of on pins and needles. I mean, can I, you know, can I ever get God to like me? I mean, I know, you know, like in the name of Jesus, he'll love me because, you know, God and Jesus apparently made a deal or something. But does he actually like me? And, and you didn't think so. And you thought that God was hard to please. And that God was just almost just, it was all God could do to restrain himself from just whacking you, you know. Well, those are, kind, those are wrong ideas. Those are idols. Those are f- false ideas about God, but they can get very deeply established within us, and then we become prisoners. Prisoners mostly of, of fear. So, Isaiah 42, verse 6. I am the Lord. I have called you. This is, this is Yahweh speaking to his servant. So, the you is the servant. I am Yahweh the Lord. I have called you the servant in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people. A light to the nations, to the goi, to the Gentiles. Many translations translate that Gentiles. That's really what is meant there. A light to the Gentiles. To open the eyes that are blind. To bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. From the prison, those who sit in darkness. So, Isaiah depicts the Gentile world as prisoners in a dark dungeon, not as evil people, but as prisoners, shackled and bound. And they're blind. Not, it's not so much that they're blind. It's, there's no light. They're in this dark dungeon, and they can't perceive anything. Um, and again, this is because of their wrong ideas about God. This is what spiritual darkness is. They're... they're worship of wrong ideas about God have plunged them into spiritual darkness that is like unto a dungeon. So that if our religion consists mostly of efforts to appease an angry God, we are prisoners in a dungeon of spiritual darkness. That's a picture of the Gentile world. So the mission of the servant is to open our eyes about the truth of God. That's why, that's why Christmas is about lights. So we got lights on our trees and you know Christmas and so many Christmas songs and carols talk about light. Because it's remembering the time when the Gentile world was plunged into Stygian darkness and there was no way out. And so they couldn't come to the light, so the light came to them. The light came to us, let's say it that way. So in verse 4, he will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his teaching. All right, this servant will succeed in his mission to bring justice, the justice of God to the Gentiles. He's not going to fail. He's going to succeed. And what's going to happen is that the injustice of being enslaved to wrong ideas about God will be overcome by the teaching of the servant. Look again. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands. That's Isaiah's poetic way of speaking of the other nations, the Gentiles. The coastlands wait for his teaching. So the servant is going to be a teacher. And he's going to bring his teaching to those that are enslaved in spiritual darkness, living in a dungeon. He's going to bring them the light of his teaching. So the mission of the servant is to open our eyes about the truth of God and to teach the world what God is like. And, well, we find out that God is like Jesus. That really is what brings us out of darkness, isn't it? I mean... How many of you can testify, yeah, I was in spiritual darkness until I really understood that God is perfectly revealed in Jesus. That that Jesus isn't saving us from God. Jesus is revealing to us that God is the Savior. Jesus isn't talking God into loving us. He is revealing to us how God has always loved us. But until we know that, we're in spiritual darkness. And so he comes and he's teaching. And once we know what God is like, that God is like Jesus, then we can be a part of bringing God's justice to the rest of the world. But you have to start there. If we're formed, if we're formed in, you know, we're, 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 we want to be devout people, we believe in God, and so we want to worship God. But if we're formed, in an idea of God as angry, violent, and retributive, then we're really formed in fear. And fear and love don't mix well. If we're formed by the idol that God is angry, violent, and retributive, inherently, that's God's being. That's what God is like. And then people people say that's His holiness. It's not, but people think that they can just... Sum that up and say, yes, God is holy, meaning angry, violent, and retributive, but that's not true. If we think that way, though, if we're formed that way, if we're imprisoned in that dungeon of spiritual darkness, then we are formed mostly in a religious form of fear, and it makes it makes it very hard for us to love other people and to help other people. But once we know that God is like Jesus, that God is love, then, then we can love and help other people. But until then, our so-called evangelism is more like, it's just threatening. Did you know you're going to hell? <laughs> you know, I mean, we're, that's not good news. Gospel's gospel is good news. We're, we have good news to tell people. The good news, you don't, you don't open with, did you know you're going to hell? But see, we're formed in that, and so that's... That's primarily because we got that idol. And so we, we, in good faith, we talked falsely about God because we'd been formed in the wrong way. But Jesus comes and he's the light. He brings us out of that dungeon. Jesus reveals to us that God is love, that God is mercy, that God is compassion, that God is like Jesus. And this is the teaching or the gospel that the coastlands in the Gentile world are waiting for. But at Advent, we might want to remind ourselves that it was a long wait. From the time that Isaiah pens this song till the time the servant arrives is five centuries. Half a millennium. All right, verse 2. Isaiah 42, verse 2. He, this is the servant, he will not cry or lift up his voice... Or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. I love this. As great as the servant obviously is, in the second servant song we're told the kings of the earth are going to bow down and do obeisance before this servant. As great as the servant obviously is, there's nothing haughty or brash about the servant, the, the greatness of the servant will not come in the ostentatious manner of the kings and conquerors of this world. This anticipated servant who is Messiah, who is the king, will not be like King Nebuchadnezzar and King Cyrus. These would be the kings that Isaiah was familiar with. This servant, though king of kings, is not like those kings at all. Though the teaching of this servant will eventually reach to the ends of the earth, he will go about his task with gentleness and with quiet humility. And then with the skill of a refined poet, Isaiah says, A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench. He will bring justice to victory, but it will be through his gentleness. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not extinguish. Well, let's, just, let's not tease this out anymore. Let's go, to, let's go to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 12. With just that little flick in my wrist, we covered 500 years. <laughs> Matthew 12, verse 15. When Jesus became aware of this, he departed. Many crowds followed him. And he cured all of them, and he ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not wrangle or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. So here we are on the first Sunday of Advent, 2020. 2020. Years from now. People will be traumatized by just the very mention of 2020. A shiver will run up and down our spines. Ooh, 2020. Well, seriously, 2020 has been hard on a lot of people. Many of you, many of you are battered and bruised by what you've passed through in 2020. So what, if, what do you do if your spiritual strength... Because, you know, we want to be strong in the Lord and the power of the Lord. What do you do if your spiritual strength is like a bruised reed? It's a a reed. It's It's only a reed to begin with, and now it's bruised. Can't take much more. What do you do if your spiritual strength is like a bruised reed? What do you do if your faith is like a flickering flame? What do you do? Well, first of all, you don't have to fake it. I hate that. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to pretend. I mean, if your spiritual strength right now is a bruised reed, don't pretend that it's not. If your faith is a smoldering wick, be honest about it. Don't don't pretend. Be honest about it. You don't have to deny it. You can come to Jesus and just be honest with him. Why? Because a bruised reed he'll not break. A smoldering wick he won't extinguish. Jesus will not condemn you for being a bruised reed. He's not going to yell at you that your faith is a smoldering wick. Instead, what he's going to do, Jesus is going to bind up your bruised spirit and rekindle your flickering faith. I'm telling you, that's what we're waiting for. We're in Advent. Advent. Some of us are bruised reeds and smoldering wicks, but we don't despair because in him the Gentiles hope. And he's going to bring victory. Jesus himself is going to be the one to bind up your bruised reed that is your spiritual strength. He is the one that's going to rekindle your flickering flame of faith. So when you're weak, don't fake it, just pray, Jesus, help me. That's, a, that's the entire liturgy right there. Jesus, help me. That's the entire liturgy. Jesus, help me. When you are, well, when your faith is flickering, just, just trust in Jesus. Which actually is what faith is. But, you know, we we get this idea that faith is some heroic effort on our part. You know, oh, be a man of faith. <laughs> but then you run to the end of that, and you can't do that. And you're assailed by doubts and you're not sure anymore, but you want to believe. So what do you do? You just say, Jesus, I'm just in you. I'm just, you're going to have to carry me here, Lord. You're just going to have to carry me. And Jesus likes it. That's what I do. That's, that's what I do. That's what I do best. That's Isaiah 40, 11. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms and hold them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother of sheep. So Jesus, Jesus will just carry you. So if your spiritual strength is like a bruise, you say, Jesus, help me. If your faith is a, a smoldering wig, just say, Jesus, I, I'm just, you're going to have to carry me here. You're going to have to take care of this. I'm just, I'm just going to trust you. I can't work it up. I can't. I can't get a whole bunch of, you know, super-duper faith confessions. I just... Jesus. Just Jesus. But this is actually what faith is anyway. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. I'm just, you know, my, my, my strength is dead, crucified in Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live, in this mortal flesh, this life which I now live in the flesh, I live by... The faith of the Son of God. A better translation is, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God. I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. You don't have to worry, because taking care of business is his name. (laughs) Amen. So, that's that's my sermon, really. If your spiritual strength is a bruised reed, just say, Jesus, help me. If your faith is like a smoldering, like just just trust Jesus. Don't try to work it up. Don't try to work out the problems. Don't, you know, I need I need some super duper apologetics. Just say, Jesus, I, I'm gonna have to rely on your faithfulness. And you don't have to worry about Jesus being harsh with you. Jesus, I I'm not super strong right now. I'm, bruised reed. I don't, I'm not brimming, overflowing with faith. In fact, my faith is like a, a candle that somebody just blew out and all you can see is a little thin line of smoke. Just be honest with Jesus. Tell him that. He will not be harsh with you. He's gentle, meek, lowly, humble of heart. Jesus will not be harsh with you unless, there is an exception, unless you are cruel and unmerciful to others. Of all the sins you might commit, I mean, I'm not like, you know, presenting with a smorgasbord to choose, but if you're going to sin, at least try to not be cruel and unmerciful. Jesus reserves his whip-cracking severity, because he does crack the whip, but he reserves his whip-cracking severity for those who are cruel and unmerciful. I mean, that's, that's clear, right? That's clear. Jesus is only, apparently, unmerciful with the unmerciful. He's only severe with the cruel. With everybody else, there's tenderness, there's gentleness, there's mercy, there's compassion, there's understanding. But even the fact that Jesus is severe with the cruel and unmerciful, even that is part of the mercy of Christ. Because once the cruel and unmerciful have been broken down to a bruised reed and a smoldering wick, then they can humbly ask Jesus for mercy, and they will find it. Because a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not extinguish. Amen. So let's pray. How many of you here say, oh, I'm glad I was here for that sermon, because that's me. I'm kind of, my spiritual, spiritual strength right now is a little bit like a bruised reed. It's not like, you know, steel rebar, it's like a bruised reed. And my, my, my faith is flickering a little bit. It's not like a bonfire, it's like a smoldering wick. How many of you, anybody would raise their hand and say, yeah, that you've described me, that's, how I'm, that's where I'm at. And so, Lord, we pray, we come to you, Lord Jesus, we don't come necessarily with, you know, real big fancy prayers. We say, Jesus, help me. And I pray that, Lord, maybe they can't even pray. I'll pray it for them. Lord, help them. Help them, Jesus. Just, just be that shepherd that picks up these lambs and holds them tenderly in your arms, near to your heart. Just hold them. Just carry them. Help them through this time. Jesus, they, th- their faith may be failing them. So, Lord, let your faithfulness prevail for them. Lord, we don't give up believing that victory will come to us, but you're going to have to do it. It isn't going to be through our own heroics and our own effort. We trust you, Jesus, to be the servant of the Lord that brings us out of our dungeon of all kinds of confused thinking about God. We trust you to be the servant who is the shepherd, who carries the little lambs in his arms. We trust you to be the one that sustains our faith when our faith is almost extinguished, that we're just going to have to live by your faithfulness, Jesus. That when we are faithless, you are faithful because you cannot deny yourself. It's who you are. And so, Lord, now we are inaugurating Advent on this day. And, Lord, I pray that every person here would have the hopeful anticipation of Jesus bringing new kinds of victory into their life. Lord, we are those Gentiles that our hope is in you. He will not break a bruised reed. He will not quench a smoldering wick until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, all the word of lifers will hope. All the people that are in this room, all the people that are online, it's in the name of Jesus that we hope that's going to bring us into a good new place Victory. Amen and amen. Now stand with me, and of course, we're getting ready to come to the table of the Lord. Let this be one way in which Jesus confers His strength, His faith, His life to you. You're going to eat of His flesh and drink of His blood, and the strength that you'll have will be that of the Lord, not of yours. But of the Lord. Let's prepare to receive these gifts by first making our confession of faith and then we'll make our confession of sin and receive the mercy and forgiveness of the Lord. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. That we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. God is gracious to all who in humility confess their sins and ask for his mercy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you whose faith is a smoldering wick. You who have been here often, you who have not been here long. You who have tried to fail, and you have tried to follow and all of us who have failed. Come, because His Lord, tender in mercy. Tender in his mercy. It's the Lord who calls you. It's his will that we should meet him here at the Body and the blood of our Lord and Savior. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you.